So now I'm going to invite Len up to speak to us. Let's pray for you. Let me pray for you. Lord, we pray for um, Lynn as she speaks to us. May she know your uh, presence and may she speak directly into our hearts and minds, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the um, bus that David spoke about at the beginning of the service, the heading on the front of that is the land of milk and honey, because that's where we're in tonight, that we're speaking about the Israelites before they get into the land of milk and honey, and it's all about Moses and the laws. And we're going to be reading Leviticus 20, 22 to 24, but I'm going to take it in bits. Basically, Leviticus is law, law, law. Rules, rules, rules. Another level is the making of a nation. That is what's happening there. So let's kick off with verse 22. This is God speaking. Keep all of my degrees and laws and follow them so that the land I am bringing you to live in may not vomit you out. So what do we feel when we talk about the word law or rules? Um, Sometimes it's arbitrary. Sometimes it's um, powerful people wanting to oppress the powerless. We usually feel it's restrictive. And this is all true unless we understand that God is good, his intentions towards us are to protect us, bless us, and help us to flourish. What he tells us to do is really, really is for our own good. Now what's happened is when Moses um, came down from the mountain after a 40-day absence, he finds the children of Israel partying. Now they'd been slaves, subject to tyrannical regulations for 400 years. So, you know, bosses away, free at last, They dance wildly around an idol, a golden calf. And then this story reminds us that in fact without rules, without laws, we quickly become slaves to our own passions. And there is actually nothing free about that. So the reality is that we often see rules as an affront to our individuality, our spirited character. But we are ambivalent because how-to books on anything from keep fit to raising our children to decluttering are always in the top ten reads. So we actually, at another level, want someone to tell us how to do it. And we live with this ambivalence. One of our other difficulties is we want to actually tame God We want to try and get him on board with our projects and reduce him to fit in with our plans, our ambitions, our taste. But God is holy and we actually require much teaching and long loving training for living in response to who God is and not how we want him to be. 
But the good news is God's with us. He wants to help us in every detail of our lives. He is with us and he is in us. Now I'm going to do a little of in parenthesis here. I just want to comment on the strange words so that the land where I'm bringing you to live may not vomit you out. Just on a little two minutes on this. Adam and Eve were told to subdue the land. We are meant to reign over the land. We're meant to bring order where there's chaos. Whatever territory mankind reigns over is affected by his characteristics, affected by how we make decisions about the land. In the Old Testament, the land is sometimes personified as a sort of living creature which violently rejects food it dislikes. In other passages in the Old Testament, the droughts were seen as a punishment, a discipline from God. They were a sort of an illustration of his uh, divine displeasure. Alongside that idea, we had the idea that if you live well, there is the promise of the well-watered garden, the land of milk and honey. So, God says, this is how it is without me. This is how it can be with me. He comes, he lives amongst us and says to us, I'm holy, you be holy also. So, verses 23 and 24. You must not live according to the customs of the nations I'm going to drive out before you. Because they did these things, I abhorred them. But I said to you, you will possess their land. I will give it to you as an inheritance, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has set you apart from the nations. In the message, it's much bolder language and it says, live holy lives before me because I, God, am unholy and I've distinguished you from the nations to be my very own. So God wants the best for us. He created us and he knows what's good for us. So all these rules, seemingly endless details and instructions throughout the whole of Leviticus, but they're actually their signposts to good news. They're signposts from God to us. Really, and they, what God was saying to me is, I'm interested in the detail of your lives. Everything in and about you and how you live is important to me and therefore important to you and each other. Later on in the Old Testament, we have Jeremiah telling us that God's going to write his laws in our heart. And then, of course, we come to St. Paul's and John's and Peter's letters with lots of instructions, disciplines, laws, rules, whatever word you want to use for it. And so we read in um, Romans um, 12, verses 1 and 2. Again, it's like Moses telling them how to get into the land. And now there's St. Paul saying, Look, this is, how, this is how you need to learn to live. 
Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. This is in the message. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life. And place it to God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture, which is what Moses was saying about the idols. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that it, it, without even thinking, you end up losing your attention on God. But he'll change you from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants you to do. Quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its immaturity, God forms well, good maturity in you, making you one of his own. So, here we are. We're in this land, and we need to make this land, our land, the land of milk and honey, for us, for each other. So the first thing I think we need to know is that we're loved. This is the kingdom of love. And because God is holy, his love can be trusted. You know, our love's quite good sometimes, but very often it isn't. It's usually selfish at some level. But God's love, because he's holy, is pure. What's God love look like? You know, there are not many um, books on what is love. There's no courses on it. We don't run a course here on love. We run marriage courses sometimes and parenting courses. We don't run a love course. It's very difficult to define. But I was sitting by a swimming pool um, and I was watching this really elderly couple. They were probably in their late 80s, early 90s. And the man was photographing his wife. And the man's figure had shrunken with age, whilst the lady had grown large and was wrapped in a very voluminous caftan. And I was watching them, and I heard the husband say, just move over towards the tree. The light will make you look even more beautiful. And I thought, that's God showing me something of his faithfulness. And that love sees beauty that is not always obvious to others. Love enhances beauty. Love transforms. And that's how we're meant to live with each other. We're meant to know that God's always with us. We don't have to go looking for him. There's no point you going to look for him somewhere else. If you can't find him, it's because you're being absent to him. It's not because he's not here. But the kingdom of God is always within us. And so we live within the kingdom, knowing we're in the kingdom, knowing what love's like. Romans 1 verse 7 says, To all in Rome who are loved by God, that's how the letters um, begun. To you are loved. We are his beloved. St. John describes himself as the one whom Jesus loved. 
Very interesting. He could have described himself as one of the disciples and author of one of the Gospels, an apostle. But his primary identity is the one who Jesus loves. Now, how many of you, and you might not want to speak it out because it might sound a bit odd, but if someone said to you, you know, what's your identity? Who are you? What's the first thing that springs into your mind? It's your first thing that springs into your mind. I'm a son, I'm a daughter of the king, I'm his beloved. I'm his beloved. Now, if we know that, it transforms so many things. We become secure in the Father's love. We know that we're connected. Now, when we start to know that, of course, all the striving, the self-promoting, the jealousy, the insecurity, all starts to lose its grip on us. Um, John Tyson, who is a New York pastor, took who is a New York pastor, took the Bible studies week at New Wine. You know, do check them out. He did four mornings. They're fantastic. And he began in the first morning speaking from Romans 12, verse 10, which says, Be devoted to one another, a brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. So here we are. We're journeying towards this promised land, and we can only do this. We can only not be influenced by the culture around us if we know how to love and honour one another. John Tyson said, um, honour is the operating system of the kingdom. He said, we align ourselves to the value God gives us and then we're able to value and honour others the same. I've written on honouring and I've just picked out a few things I wrote. It says, uh, we honour someone when we listen to them with undivided attention and without interruption. Very simple thing. It changes all sorts of things. We honour someone when else when we give them space to explore who God is making them without our attempting to define who we think they should be. We honour someone when we risk their displeasure by bringing a word of caution or rebuke which is um, Proverbs 24, 5 and 6. I, someone I knew, I was fairly sure the man she was going to marry was an uh, alcoholic. And I risked it. And I said to her, um, do you know, I, I think he's got a drink problem. I think he's an alcoholic. And she was furious with me. Um, I didn't want to be right. Unfortunately, she married him and I was right. I'd have felt dreadful if I hadn't have said it. And sometimes we do have to learn how to speak out um, God's word to other people. When we're honouring each other, it means that um, other people's marriages benefit by our friendship with them. We want each other to flourish. We have healthy friendships so that we want the best for each other. We can only do that in the kingdom of love. We can only do that when we know God loves us and we can love each other appropriately.
So, to know we're loved and from that position be able to honour others, we have some level of corporate protection to be able to stand against the culture of the world. With love and honour amongst us, we can begin to go into that promised land. What's some of our temptations? Well, the children of Israel had to learn how to let go of the past. Stop making, looking back to Egypt, which of course had become absolutely illusory in their minds. There they are in the desert moaning about the melons and garlic that they miss. They had forgotten they were making um, bricks from straw. And we can look back with illusion. Um, and so we've got to get on that bus, not being burdened by the past. You know, I really hated that phrase. When we came out of lockdown, they told us there would be a new normal. I was furious. I wanted my old normal thank back, thank you very much. I didn't want a new one. But the past is fixed, and the future can be better. But the future cannot be better when we're stuck with that past stuff, and we're dragging that all onto the bus with us, holding on to guilt, denial, resentment, such a waste of energy. Robs us of the presence of God, robs us of the joy of the journey. Um, it's destructive. Continually wanting to return to some past event. We're often fearful of releasing it because we're so, we've made friends with it. And so we have to uh, let go of the past, just as the children of Israel did. They had to let go of Egypt. Another difficulty is we're worrying about what the future's going to be like. Oh, what does it mean? What is the land of milk and honey like? You know, how am I going to cope with the increased energy bills? We've been away um, on holiday, some of us, and we haven't had a television where we were. And it was very interesting. When I left London, we were about to declare a national drought and the hose pipe ban. When I came back, we've got floods, so I'd only been away seven days. <laughs> Would have been a waste of energy worrying about that. I'm not saying things aren't difficult. I'm really not saying that. But I'm saying we have to believe what we've been singing. And learn to hear God's voice over and above the top. We have to know how to soar above all of this. The world wants to pull us down. It wants to pull us downward. William MacDonald brings a really powerful insight on this about how the law of sin and death can be below the law of the spirit of life in Christ. He writes, It's like the law of gravity. When you throw a ball into the air, it comes back down because it's heavier than the air it displaces. A living bird is also heavier than the air it displaces, but when you toss it into the air, it flies away. The law of life in the bird overcomes the law of gravity. So the Holy Spirit supplies the risen life of the Lord Jesus, making the believer free from the law of sin and death. I would say it does more than that. It sets us free from anxiety. It sets us free from the culture that's dragging us down. Christ in us, the hope of glory. 
defies gravity. So we have to say yes. We surrender to divine love. We surrender to be that living sacrifice, to begin the journey of the long transformation into the process of becoming all that God's called us to be. Every day, God comes to every one of us and says, let me love you. Anthony of the Desert said, every day I must say again to myself, today I start. Most days I lay my hand on my diary and I pray that God will order my day and I will let life flow towards me and I trust him for the interruptions so that it becomes anxious free. You know, in the world of people, you'll notice this, and I've said so, who say, oh, just quickly. And I go, no, you can be just slowly if you like. <laughs> but we're so used to this. You know, life just going on and on. And so we need to um, so focus on God and, you know, the advertising's another culture. People have paid a great deal of money to convince us that we're inadequate and we're less than likely to succeed unless we purchase whatever it is they're selling us. And really we kid ourselves if we think we're not influenced by all of this because we really are. We end up by bringing, buying things we can't afford or need to impress people we don't like, it's a quote. Um, the other thing is that um, research shows that bad news or fearful news gets more audiences than good news. So what does, what does all the media need to do? Collect bad news and fearful news. And we need to hear that worship voice that Martin was singing over and above all of this. In his book, You Are What You Love, James Smith writes that the shopping mall is actually like a ceremonial centre. The architecture, it's fascinating this if you think about it, reflects a cathedral in that they have very high ceilings and the light comes from the top of them. Think about Westwood, Westfield. But there's no light around the edges. And we're invited in the enclosed walls to escape time, to escape the world. And usually there's no clocks. So in this timeless place, it's a modern temple to consumerism with calendar rituals. For instance, we usually know that it's Christmas because there's Santa's starts being advertised and all of that, both in the shopping malls and on the television. And that's a little bit stronger than Advent in our minds. We know it's getting near Easter because there's Easter eggs and bunnies, and that's often a little bit stronger in our minds than Lent. We know it's the autumn now because there's school uniforms. 
this time of the year used to be a time, and I'm not suggesting we go back to agriculture, I'm really not, but a time of thankfulness, a time of recognising the fruitfulness that comes in before we sort of die again into the womb of the earth. That's what protects us from all of the advertising. That's what makes us different. So, in summing up, I'm a great believer in doing what we know and not over-fussing about what we don't understand. We know that God wants us to let him love us. We know that we need to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and love each other as ourselves. We know we need to practice thankfulness and gratitude so that our hearts grow, Mrs. Ambos Camp, swollen with joy. Wouldn't you like a heart swollen with joy? We need to walk in confession and forgiveness, practice the presence of Jesus. And as we live like this, together, we become sensitive to the Father's voice, alert to the Spirit's promptings, and the adventure of the journey begins. Of course, it's a lifetime's work, but it's how we're to live in the land of milk of honey, in the kingdom of love. Key, our passport is living a God-shaped life. And, you know, and sometimes it's not money or fame or power that causes us to settle for less. It's a lack of courage. It's an individualistic approach rather than understanding that we're in this together. I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis because I love him. All the things that have ever deeply possessed your soul have been but hints of it. Tantalising glimpses, promises never quite fulfilled, echoes that died away just as you, they caught your ear. But if it should really become manifest, if there ever became an echo that did not die away, but swelled into the sound itself, you would know it. Beyond all possibility of doubt, you would say, here at last is the thing I was made for. The promised land is not a distant dream. It's learning how to live it now. It's on offer. So if you'd like to stand, I'm going to pray for you. And if the band would like to come back up. I, I, I've been thinking about this. I, I think the thing that would distinguish us most as belonging to God is if we were able to live anxious, free lives. If we recognised how often the, um, the world is wanting to make us anxious, wanting to worry us, wanting us to fix things. And if we recognise how we caught this and then worried. So I'm going to pray first of all that God will come with that peace that passes all understanding so that we're set free from some of this anxiety. And then we're going to a time of ministry after that. So Father God, I pray now that you will come and descend into each one of us with that incredible gift of peace that you offer. 
that gift of peace that passes all understanding. Your words, Lord Jesus, that say, have no fear, I have overcome the world. <laughs> 